0: Our DNA has a mechanism to slow your metabolism down. So if you're yo-yo dieting, what does that mean? It means you diet for a while and you stop dieting and you discover that you don't just regain the lost weight, you overshoot because now your appetite is primed to eat more and your metabolism has been slowed
1: Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Dothan, Alabama, Great Falls, Montana, and Jakarta, Indonesia. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 64 of season 5, number 363 overall. Here's a question for you. How do you prevent a midlife metabolism crisis? I have been wondering a lot about this recently since I will be turning 40 in just a couple of weeks. Is my metabolism about to grind to a screeching halt? is 40 when really, it starts to slow down for everyone. Well, I asked Dr. Neil Barnard to join me on the Exam Room Live to clue us in on what the big four O means for our metabolism. And what the heck is metabolism anyway? We're gonna find out. And wouldn't you know though, I was far from the only person who was wondering about this. Lots of exam roomies who joined us live sent in questions to the doctor's mailbag. So we have a question from Sharla, and she's wondering whether she can repair her metabolism after wrecking it for years. Then Pam, wondering if her metabolism is shot because she's yo-yo dieted for decades, gone up and down the scale. Mila asking about the effect that fasting might have on metabolism. Jenny talking about menopause and what that might do to her metabolism. And of course, because it is the doctor's mailbag, there's also a couple of other topics in there too. Some extra ground to cover, including a question from Crystal, who's looking for clarity about sweet potatoes. Get this, she says she's eating two pounds of sweet potatoes every day and is wondering whether that is too much. Dr. Barnhart is going to be talking about that. That is a lot of sweet potatoes, my goodness. And you can join us every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for The Exam Room Live on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. There is a link to both right now in the episode notes. And if you can't join us live, you can also send me your questions anytime on Twitter or Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Now, before we ramp up our metabolism, I want to say thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for their continued support of the Exam Room Live and the Physicians Committee. That support is helping to raise our health IQs today and makes this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals, and they do it by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org. Time now to welcome the man who is leading our Metabolism Masterclass. He is the author of Your Body in Balance. He is the one and only Dr. Neil Barnard. Sir, glad you're here. This is a popular topic.
0: It sure is, Chuck. Looking forward to it.
1: All right. So here's the score. As I said, I am turning 40 in a couple of weeks. How much slower can I expect my metabolism to be moving forward?
0: In the physiological world, you are an adolescent. Um, And (laughs) if if the clock is going from 39 to 40, there is no reason for your metabolism to slow down at all. I wouldn't worry about it at all. And when we look at, at uh, broad studies of people, you don't really start to see it start trimming down until really the sixties. Now that said, there are a lot of people who don't have that experience. Their metabolism is getting slower much earlier than that, but that's because they're beating their own metabolism up. They're eating things that are slowing their metabolism. So that's really the problem. All right, and Claire is wondering, and this is kind of
1: something that I've also wondered for a while, maybe a lot of other exam roomies are as well. When we think about metabolism, we always think about weight, but is metabolism important for anything other than the number that's on the scale?
0: Oh, great question. You know, maybe that uh, raises the question of what the heck metabolism is and what's it (laughs) all about? Because it's not just there to adjust what you see on your bathroom scale. Metabolism really means your body is taking food that's your fuel and it's converting it into energy. So, for example, um, you need to have energy to move your brain cells around, move your thoughts around in your brain. You need to have energy to, to uh, pump your heart and to make your lungs work and to, to walk around and to do the things that you're doing. All those things in your body take energy. So you eat food and your body converts that food into energy to do all these things. And metabolism means... Uh, that process of change. So if you have a fast metabolism, it means you're burning a lot of calories and giving a lot of energy to your body. A slow metabolism means you're taking some of that energy, but a lot of it, you're not taking out of the food and you're just storing it as fat. So we want a a fast metabolism to stay slim, But, but the main purpose of it is not to affect our weight. The main purpose of it is to get our body running. So Chuck, if you don't mind, let me mention the three phases of metabolism, which are important to know. The first one is resting metabolism. 5.30 in the morning, you are unconscious, you're in bed and you're not moving. You're not doing anything. You're not digesting food. That's your resting metabolism. That's as low as it's gonna get during the day. As soon as you, oh, and by the way, you can, you can damage your resting metabolism by overly vigorous dieting. If you are really just start trying to starve off the weight by not eating food, your resting metabolism is going to drop to just try to conserve whatever you've got. Okay. Now, so let's say the alarm goes off, you get up, you start making breakfast. As soon as the food goes into your body, your body has to do a little extra work says, okay, here's some, some fuel. I've got to move it into my bloodstream and get it into the cells. And if I were measuring your metabolism, it's going up. And it's going to stay faster for three, four, five hours after the meal. That's your body using those fuels, taking them in, and sometimes storing the excess. And here, food choices make a huge difference. Stick of butter, fat. It goes into your body with almost no metabolism boost at all. But starches and proteins, um, for example, a piece of bread or a pancake has a mixture of protein and starch. Those um, have to be metabolized, kind of torn up, if you will, by the body to be to, so that their fuel can be used. And that burns calories. So to boost that after meal burn, you want to choose foods without the fat and choose plant-based foods, vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans. They give you the best burn. And over time, when people are on a particularly low fat, completely vegan diet, that after meal burn gets faster and faster and faster, according to the research that we've done. Okay, so we talked about resting metabolism, after meal metabolism. Number three is your exercise metabolism. You laced up your sneakers, you went out running, and of course your muscles say, hey, I need a little bit extra energy here. Um, And so your metabolism will go up when you stop and you kick your sneakers off, your metabolism goes right back down again. There, there's no lasting effect of that. So those are the three. Those are the three forms. All right. Now, Pam is just
1: screaming to get this question answered uh, because you mentioned, you know, starving yourself and and maybe going up and down the scale. That's exactly what Pam has been doing here. She wants to know if yo-yo dieting itself can affect the metabolism. So starving for a time and then going right back to that standard American diet.
0: Oh, man. Pam, you are not alone. So many people have done this. Um, And it it, it, it makes complete sense. Okay, if I only eat 600 calories a day, I got to lose weight and you will. But your body knows what you're doing. And your body was programmed back a long time ago when there was such a thing as starvation and famine. And so in order to survive, our DNA has a mechanism to, to slow your metabolism down and dieting kicks that in. So if you're yo-yo dieting, what does that mean? That means you diet for a while and you stop dieting and you discover that you don't just regain the lost weight, you, you overshoot because now your appetite is primed to eat more and your metabolism has been slowed. Can you fix it? Yes, you can fix it. What you're, what you're thinking is exactly right. Stop the yo-yo dieting. Focus not on how much you eat, focus mostly on what you eat. And if you're eating healthy plant-based foods, fruits, grains, vegetables, legumes, and you're keeping the oils really low, oily foods low, your metabolism is going to come back to where it ought to be. So yes, you can fix it.
1: And uh, Mila here is kind of piggybacking on a show that we did last week where we were talking about fasting. And she's wondering whether fasting can increase or decrease metabolism.
0: Over the long run, it's going to decrease it for the same reason that we just mentioned. And by the way, if you're fasting, if it's, A partial fast for a day or two, no problem. You hear a lot of people who eat regularly five days fast a little bit for a couple days, no problem. But if you're doing a serious fast, like water only, and it's going on for a long time, only do that with medical supervision at a place like True North, where somebody's actually watching you every day, because over the long run, it can be dangerous.
1: Before uh, we move on and start talking about some specific foods, Charlotte's like, okay, but please, please, please also... I think that I have absolutely wrecked my metabolism. She doesn't say how she did this. She just says that she's convinced that it's wrecked. You said that the metabolism can bounce back. Is that probably the case for the majority of cases, Dr. Barnard?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And think of the three types of metabolism. One is resting metabolism. As soon as you stop the punishing diet, your your resting metabolism can start to recover. It's your body saying, okay, I guess there's no famine right now. And then your after meal metabolism that is stimulated by taking in the right kinds of foods. The right kinds of foods are plant-based foods that are very low in fat. Don't add a lot of oil to them because the, that does, the oily foods, um, certainly animal products, but also vegetable oils, a lot of nuts, avocados, the, the oil doesn't really give you the same kind of burn that you're going to get from starches and the natural proteins that are in plant foods too. So keep the oils really low. Your afterburn metabolism will recover. And exercise helps you too. start slow. If you haven't been exercising, Uh, you know, a brisk walk 30 minutes a day, that's a good place to start. Do that three times a week. Take it, uh, gradually take it up from there.
1: All right. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about uh, oil, which brings fat into the equation. Obviously, there's a lot of fat in a lot of dairy foods. Bonnie has an interesting question here, wondering how dairy might affect metabolism. She says that she's actually heard that it can speed it up.
0: Yeah, really a mistake, I've got to say. Um, you, you're thinking partly right, because dairy has a lot of sugar in it. Um, that's the number one nutrient in dairy. I, that, that might be a surprise. But lactose sugar is the number one nutrient in either low-fat or high-fat milk, for example. And that sugar, your body has to to take it in, and that will speed up the metabolism a little bit. However, the fat that's in the dairy, cheese, whole milk, ice cream, that's going to work against you. And there are also hormones in dairy. They're going to work against you too. I'm talking about the estrogens that came from the dairy cow. Keep in mind, if you want to fatten up, um, go to a farm and on the farm where you look at the cows, look behind their ear, they have got little implants of estrogens, um, and testosterone on the behind the ear of the cow. And that's there to fatten them up. So taking an extra estrogen from dairy, it's not going to help. It's not gonna help your weight at all. All right. Talking about
1: hormones. Let's talk about, uh, menopause here. Jenny wondering how menopause might affect metabolism.
0: You know, it's, it's an interesting point um, for many women, their periods stop around age 50 and then all kinds of things kick in. And and one of the things that women often note is they, they feel like they're gaining weight more easily than they were before. And there, there's certainly some truth to that. However, when we look over the longer view, what you discover is if you plot weight, the weight gain started way before menopause. At menopause, that's just a time when women note that a lot of things are happening in their body and they are, but the weight gain has really been pretty gradual for five, six, seven, eight years, excuse me. Five, their weight gain has really been pretty gradual for five, six, seven, eight years before menopause, just going right through the menopause. And then maybe five or 10 years afterward, it kind of subsides a little bit. What that means is if we go into menopause um, or as soon as we can, we get onto a healthy diet, which I've already described, plant-based low oil, and that can prevent the weight gain that many women experience at that time and can even reverse the weight gain that, that you've experienced before. And, and by the way, as, as you and I've discussed before, this is also a great beginning to knocking out the hot flashes uh, that women have at menopause too. So bottom line, weight gain does occur at that time. Menopause is not the reason for it really, but a plant-based diet can help to prevent that and to turn it around. I think
1: that we've piqued a lot of exam roomies interest here. Carla just sent this to me on Instagram at Chuck Carroll W L C. Uh, she's wondering whether she should have her hormones tested after menopause. And if the answer to that is yes, which ones?
0: The answer to that is no. Um you don't have to you don't have to do that. Um, you're, if you go to talk to your doctor and say, Am I really in menopause or not? It's really just a question of did the periods stop and You'll often find that other symptoms might kick in as well, uh, but typically doctors don't uh, don't check hormones on it. There isn't a there isn't a clinical reason clinical reason for doing it in most cases.
1: All right, more from the Graham Pagil 3728. How concerned should I be about fat in my diet after menopause? How much is still okay?
0: You hit the magic button here. Um, every gram of fat, whatever it's from, has nine calories in it. So when we're getting away from the beef fat because we don't want to hurt our hearts. We're getting away from the chicken fat and all that bad stuff. That's nine calories that we are saving from every gram of fat that we're not eating. So getting the fat out of your diet is good. Here's the issue. Uh, The fat that's in nuts or seeds or olive oil, that's a healthier type of fat. It's not so likely to spike your cholesterol, for example. However, its effect on your waistline is just the same. So keep all of those fatty foods low. If you're trying to avoid weight gain or trying to lose weight, um, you wanna keep all the fats low, even the ones that seem healthy, You know, even, even the extra virgin olive oil or the organic avocado.
1: And obviously keeping that fat low, that's gonna play right into what it is we're talking about here today with metabolism. I would assume that holds true for 60 as much as it does 16.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Here's what happens. Um, let's ramp it up just one notch. When, when people have a lot of fat in their foods, right immediately after that meal, in fact, before you even put down your fork, the fat from those foods is entering your muscle cells. It's entering your liver cells. As it does, it starts to impair your mitochondria. Mitochondria are the tiny. You remember this from high school biology. Those are the tiny little organelles that turn fuel into energy. The more fat that goes into the cells, the slower the mitochondria work. And that happens right away. So let's say I'm 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, whatever, and my burn is not really so great. I wanna get the fat out of my cells so that my mitochondria can bounce back. And the way to do that is to get the fat off your plate.
1: Again, so let's talk about the different uh, sources of fat. So the fat that's found in, say, a double cheeseburger versus the fat you were just talking about—nuts—is that going to have the same effect in this case?
0: Um, the the fat that's in nuts much better from the standpoint of cholesterol, but not that much different from the standpoint of either weight or even insulin resistance. And researchers have done some kind of heroic studies. Let's say I bring in some volunteers, and I'm going to feed them. A lot of saturated fat, the fat that's in in cheese, or the fat that's in meat, or or frankly, the fat that's in coconut oil. What you see is very rapidly, I mean, within hours, um, their insulin resistance gets worse, their blood sugar gets higher, their metabolism is being attacked. Let's say instead, I'm going to bring in a high fat meal, but I'll use canola oil. That's a liquid oil. It's not high in saturated fat, but it's high in monounsaturate, the kind that's in olive oil. What do you see? Same thing. Um, You see that their their metabolism uh, suffers a bit. Their insulin sensitivity suffers a little bit. Not as bad as with the saturated fat, but it's still in, in the problem category. So the foods that really help you the most are the ones that don't have all that extra fat in them.
1: All right, let's talk to the good folks who have a sweet tooth. Now we haven't touched on sugar yet. Rhiannon is wondering whether refined sugar might have an effect on metabolism.
0: If you have a small amount of refined sugar, there's some sugar in your pastry or something like that, or some maybe in your smoothie or wherever it is, your body takes that sugar and it breaks it apart. It absorbs it and it uses it for energy. And so your metabolism will actually rise. And we measure that here in our laboratory and you can see the rise and it's really no big deal. And let's say I eat a little bit more sugar, or maybe I eat bread or potatoes, which digest to release natural sugars. Uh, Your body first uses all that sugar energy to power your brain and to power your muscles. And if there's a little left over, what does it do with it? It turns it into glycogen. Glycogen is just a fancy word for spare batteries. It's in your liver, it's in your muscles, and it will allow you to have more energy between meals that's all good the problem comes in if we really overdo it with a lot of extra sugar so i don't need it for energy i don't need to store any more of it there's just too much at that point it'll go into your liver and your liver will make fat out of it so at that point it becomes a problem what i'm saying is in, in small amounts no big deal
1: But uh, she's also then saying, like, I should probably be feeling good, though, about the sugar that is in fruit or sweet potatoes.
0: You know, amazingly enough, fruits are sweet. But if you measure their glycemic index, that's an index of how fast does that sugar go in your blood. It's really very gradual. It's at exactly the speed that your body can use. So you take something like a a blueberry um, or just about any kind of fruit. Take a mango, take a papaya. They're really sweet, you think this has got to be spiking my blood sugar. Mm -mm. Doesn't do that. Um, Your body will gradually take that energy and it'll use it. So those are perfectly fine.
1: All right. We're going to talk about red meat here uh, in just a moment and uh, processed meat as well. But uh, first, Dr. Barnard, we have a huge week that starts tomorrow. Uh, If you're watching this live with us here on Wednesday, we have a huge week that uh, at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine coming up August 18th through the 20th. You're talking about, I think we have somewhere close to 30 speakers over three days. That's they're all going to be presenting some really cutting-edge nutrition science. I cannot wait to be back in person for that this year in Washington, D.C.
0: I got to tell you, its I think it's the best conference we've ever done. And we're emerging after two years of virtual conferences. We're going to be live and in person. We're going to talk about nutrition and COVID. Dean Ornish will be presenting his latest work. Kim Williams will be there. Uh, he'll be our honoree, and he'll be talking uh, about uh, nutrition and a healthy heart and nutrition and equity. Uh, we have a whole new approach to type 1 diabetes, really exciting. I'm going to be talking about menopause and our new, new data that have not yet been released. We're going to be sharing those. But Chuck, the big, the, I got to tell you, the, the big winner of the, of the event is going to be universal meals. Um, the actual foods that will be served are those that the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, the other CIA, um and uh sport foods and dc vegan all put together to mean these wonderful universal meals all the way from soups to desserts that are just going to be fabulous so anyway imagine going to a medical conference and getting gourmet type food at every single meal that's what it's going to be
1: let me tell you i heard the report from the uh the taste testing uh that the culinary staff put together for us ahead of time and uh our colleagues who went down there and got a chance to sample what will be served at the conference gave it 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10 stars. We're talking about superb dishes. I am so excited. Uh, I believe that our own uh, Dustin Harder, he's gonna be talking a little bit about the Universal Meals Program as well.
0: Yeah, well, that's right. uh, This is gonna be tomorrow starting 1045. Um, We have um, Lily Correa, who's a registered dietitian who worked with us on the Universal Meals Guidelines coming then David Kamen from the CIA is coming to say Culinary Institute of America. To say how I turn guidelines into delicious meals, and he'll talk about how do you get that umami flavor, the other flavors, and he has some really cool tricks. And then Dustin is pulling back the curtains, unveiling the Universal Meals. The tastings start. It's going to be really, really cool. And 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 one other thing that there is a new uh, French chef at the Hyatt who we've been working uh, with on this and he has had just the time of his life creating these foods. So anyway, yes, it's a medical conference, it's a scientific conference, but the food is gonna be just wonderful
1: outstanding. So uh, just a couple of seats still remain. Hurry, don't wait, get yours right now. PCRM.org slash ICNM or click the link in the show description or in the episode notes. We're also going to be taping episodes of the exam room all three days, all throughout the conference. So if you want to join us for a live recording, you can absolutely do that. Would love for you to see how uh, we put these things together. It'd be great to build that sense of community and eat a universal meal with you as well. So PCRM.org slash C&M is the place to go for the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine 2022 edition at the Grand Hyatt, Washington, August 18th through the 20th. All right, uh, let's go back to the doctor's mailbag here, uh, Dr. Barnard here, and let's talk about meat. Aliyah has an interesting question. She's wondering whether red meat can slow metabolism.
0: It can, yes. Um, and red meat, keep in mind, it doesn't have any fiber in it doesn't have any complex carbohydrate in it, which is really the key to keeping your metabolism up because that complex carbohydrate, that's what gives the natural glucose to your brain and your muscles, meat doesn't have that. What does it have? It does have some protein and protein can affect your metabolism in a good way because it's hard for your body to break down and that takes some work for your body to do. But both red meat and white meat like chicken or or salmon, um, they they all have enough fat to really interfere with your metabolism. Why? Because after a meal, fat doesn't really give you the appropriate metabolic boost. And secondly, that fat goes into your cells and it interferes with the mitochondria, those little furnaces I was talking about earlier. So no, to to get your metabolism on track, if it's been damaged and to keep it on track, I would take the meat and feed it to your cat, throw it in the trash, but don't eat it.
1: Quinn's wondering whether that holds true for all kinds of meat, talking uh, specifically hot dogs and bacon and I guess processed meats across the board.
0: Oh, my God. Uh, Worst of the list. Um, Partly they're extremely fatty and also because of the way they are are cured, they have cured, um, they increase the risk of several forms of cancer, colorectal cancer, but also breast cancer.
1: Good to note. Uh, get that off the plate. All right, interesting question here from Plant-Based Capital Region. Uh, they're throwing the Albany, New York Fetch Fest on October 1st. I'm uh, privileged enough to be up there speaking this year, so please join us if you can. Uh, their question is, talking about hitting 40 being a big, big, big milestone, they want to know, do we tend to hold more weight around our midsection after 40, or is that just an old wives' tale?
0: Um, it's true. Um, people do start gaining more weight um, as those years go by. And, and the midsection is kind of place number one where it does end up. But keep in mind, this is not because of the calendar. That's not why you gain weight. The reason that we gain weight is because of the foods that put it in. So if people who are following a healthy, low-fat, plant-based diet, there's no reason for them to be gaining weight when they hit 30, 40, 50, 60. Um, so ideally, we want to be the, the, the same weight that we were when we graduated from high school. Um, And if if we're eating the right foods, we can typically avoid the waking. All
1: right. Uh, You were talking about exercise, given the metabolism and old shot in the arm a little bit earlier. Mike PCW on Instagram is wondering uh, how big of an effect that could have and what type of exercise might be best.
0: Okay, great question. Um, All kinds of exercise will burn calories, any kind, because think of it, your, your body is a machine. It's doing something. So, if it's weight bearing exercise, lifting weights or whatever, it, it takes a fair amount of energy to do that. That will boost your metabolism. If you're running a couple blocks, a kilometer, a few miles, a marathon, an ultra marathon, the longer you do that, the more calories you have to burn. So, all forms of exercise moves, uh, will boost your metabolism. However, as I was mentioning earlier, after the exercise stops, you're toweling off from the shower your metabolism goes right back down to where it was before. So there isn't a lasting effect of the exercise. It's just a question of doing, uh, doing more exercise. But exercise is a tough way to really lose weight if that's all you're doing. You have to exercise a lot to burn off the weight. So exercise is good, but use it in addition to a healthy diet. If we're not putting in the fatty foods into our bodies, we don't have to exercise so much to try to burn them off again.
1: You know, I back in the day, um, before I stumbled upon the idea of a plant-based diet, when I would do the yo-yo dieting, like some of the other exam roomies have wrote in talking about here today, I always thought that it was in fact, perfectly possible to go to the gym and burn off that king size combo meal that I had just gotten at Burger King. Um, What you just said tells me that my thinking was way off base
0: you are not alone. Many people have that idea and you can do a a test. Go to the gym and say, get on a treadmill and run flat out for a mile and then push the little button that says, how many calories did I just burn? And the answer is about a hundred. And then go and look at a soda. There's 250 calories in that soda. Okay. Go back to the treadmill, run another mile and a half. And then, oh, wait a minute. I had French fries too. And the point is, the calories in foods add up much faster than you can burn them off with exercise. So to, to really try to lose, lose weight with exercise is, is a job. Exercise is, is a great thing. It has many benefits. But for those people who say, for, to lose weight, you just got to diet and exercise, I think they're making a mistake. They're setting people's expectations in the wrong direction. To really manage your weight, we've got to focus on the fuels that we're putting into our body fruits and grains and vegetables and legumes, keep the oily foods low, throw the animal products out completely, add exercise to it. But the exercise shouldn't be your primary weight loss strategy. It's really a, a challenge to have, to, to have the exercise create a meaningful effect. And, and it, it's not that the exercise doesn't burn calories. It does. It's just that your body is so efficient um, at exercising. So you don't burn a huge number of calories when you're exercising and when you're done exercising, your body's going to be hungry. So you're you're going to end up eating a little bit more food. So the, the effect of exercise is a little bit more modest on weight than many people imagine. You know what? I also didn't realize until,
1: uh, I started this health journey was that, uh, really you're not going to be able to outrun that cholesterol that you got in that combo meal either, right? So you can run on the treadmill for an hour, but that cholesterol is still going to stay put in the arteries. Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, the harm that's done with that meal, uh, it's it's not just the calories and all that fatty junk, but you you said it's the cholesterol and also the bacon, the sausage, all those other things that ended up in your intestinal tract are one of the primary causes of colorectal cancer. I mentioned breast cancer earlier. No, that's not fuel for the body. That's something we never should have eaten. All right, let's see if we can grab a
1: couple of more. J.K. Sampley, a regular exam roomie. J.K., thanks for hanging out. Uh, Wondering about exercise timing and whether that matters. Asking, is it best to eat breakfast before or after a 30-minute brisk walk?
0: Oh, what a great question. I I don't know the answer to that, but that's something that people are always talking about. And there are are some people, I'm one of them, where when I get out of bed, if I'm going to go for a run, I don't want to have a lot of food in my stomach. Um, I like to go out on a completely empty stomach, and you fueled up before, you've got plenty of fuel in your liver and your muscles that stored glycogen. So even if you haven't had any breakfast, you are gonna be able to do your five miles, six miles, seven miles, whatever the heck you're gonna do. Um, there are other people who say, that's not me. I need to have some food in my stomach uh, before I go exercise. If, if that's the case, what people often do is they'll, they'll eat something and rest a little bit before they do the exercise.
1: All right. uh, Let's circle back to uh, oil really quickly before we uh, widen the scope of our discussion here today and go back to what it was we were talking about um, in terms of, I think, coconut oil got brought up with some of the plant-based alternatives. Uh, Lisa is wondering whether uh, all oils may slow metabolism equally. So that goes back to the old olive oil versus coconut oil debate. Is there a lesser of two evils here?
0: Yeah, there, there is a lesser of two evils. Um, the olive oils, the rapeseed oil or called canola oil nowadays uh, are better uh, compared to coconut oil and palm oil. However, um, they are all part of the metabolism slowing. They're all on the metabolism slowing in. So on, on the really bad fats are the animal fats. And then next to them are coconut oil and palm oil. Um, and then the, the other liquid oils like canola oil or corn oil or soybean oil. They are, um, they're they're much better from the standpoint of cholesterol, from the standpoint of weight loss, not much better, from the standpoint of insulin resistance, not much better. All right, and
1: uh, one more on metabolism. I wanna sneak this one in as well. Uh, we, we touched on sleep a little bit earlier, just kind of brushed the surface of it. Daniel wondering how much of an effect sleep might have on metabolism. So if a person is sleep deprived, is their metabolism really gonna be in rough shape?
0: Um, Sleep actually slows your metabolism because you're, keep in mind, all your activities have shut off. Even your brain isn't working quite as much when you're asleep as as it is when you're awake, although your brain is still working while you're unconscious because it's sorting out your thoughts and filing things away. But generally, your metabolism will slow during sleep. So in the early morning hours, it's at its lowest ebb. However, sleep is associated with weight loss because when you're unconscious, you can't eat a grilled cheese sandwich. Um, when you're <laughs> unconscious, you can't go to the 7-Eleven. So the more people sleep, the better they do. Also, um, and many people have experienced this. If you had a rocky sleep last night, you're going to do anything today just to get through the day. So you're going to break all of the resolves that you had yesterday, and you're going to not eat in a, in a healthful way. So it's not that the sleep itself caused that problem. It's just that the lack of sleep... Uh, causes our resolve to to not do so well. So yes, get plenty of sleep. If if you are getting lots of sleep, then you are not eating. The person who stays up till two in the morning watching TV, you know, they've got the pork rinds and potato chips and whatever it is next to them. So they're eating more. If you're asleep, that's not going to happen. And the more sleep, the more equanimity you feel the next day, and that'll keep you in a better frame of mind.
1: I don't know why it is. The later at night it is, the hungrier we become. It's, It's like this instinctual thing. And I don't know if it's just our willpower is worn down by the day or what the case may be. But the midnight munchies is a very real phenomenon.
0: I and I don't. Yes, you're right. And I don't know the reason for that. We see partying in general is something that people want to do at night. You know, people don't throw their their raves at eight in the morning. That's when we are kind of behaving ourselves. Uh, The sun goes down, the appetites of all kinds go up. And it's kind of a good thing when the clock strikes 10. Turn it off. Go to sleep. Your body's going to thank you. All right,
1: two more questions. Uh, we're going to broaden the scope of the direction here. Uh, dog Lover Enzy, we get this question from time to time, and uh, it's important that we, we keep addressing it. Uh, what should a person do if they've actually lost a little bit too much weight while eating a plant-based
0: diet? If you've lost too much weight, you're going to be the envy of everybody else. So you <laughs> just have to figure out how to respond to them. Um, is, is it too much weight, or, or did you just discover that you're thinner than everybody else? Um, to know if it's too much weight, check your BMI. Your body mass index, it's sort of a crude indicator, but it's, but it's useful still. Um, it tells you, is your weight okay for your height? By okay, I mean, are you at the lowest possible risk for diabetes, for weight-related cancers, and that kind of thing. So what you do, go online, type in BMI calculator. That's body mass index, BMI calculator. And you'll be able to put in your height, put in your weight, and it'll tell you how what your number is if it's between eight and a half, 18 and a half, 18.5, up to 25, that's the normal healthy range. And if you are trying to fine tune that, the people on kind of the lower end of that, right around 18.5, 19, 20, those folks tend to do the best of all with regard to cancer risk, with regard to fertility, with regard to lots of things. So if you did that, and let's say you're right around the low end or maybe a little bit under it. The next thing i do is make sure you're eating normal amounts. Because if you're eating normal amounts of food and you're not starving, and if your parents tended to be a bit on the thin side, then that's just you. I wouldn't try to force yourself to gain any more weight. If you want to gain weight, you know how to do it. Fatty foods, even good fats, will put that weight right back on. So nuts and seeds and oils will do it, but that's that has no health benefit for you. So th- I wouldn't go there.
1: You know, I, I really think that for a lot of us, what you said right at the beginning of that answer is perfect. It's like, well, you know, are you really underweight or are you just underweight compared to a lot of other people? I have people in my own family who will tell me, Chuck, you've lost too much weight, and yet- you go, you punch in the numbers on the BMI calculator, I am smack dab in the middle of the normal range. And so it's just that, unfortunately, Dr. Barnard, I think that we live in a society where we have like more than 40% of us uh, have obesity right now, three quarters of us are overweight. So it's, it's, uh, you know, compared to what type of discussion is kind of what we're having here, I think, in terms of, are you just thinner than Everybody else, right?
0: You said it. In fact, um, if you want some some reinforcement for what you just said, look on YouTube or wherever you watch movies and pick up some movies from the 1940s. You'll see people who are overweight, but you'll see a lot of people who are pretty skinny back then. Um, and that's simply because cheese hadn't <laughs> entered our diets to anywhere near the extent that they are now. People weren't drinking sodas and this much, that kind of thing all the time. Now, people varied. There were heavy people then, and there were thinner people then. And even back then, the vegans had the healthiest weight and the meat eaters a little bit more. But there were lots of very thin people. Look at Frank Sinatra at the beginning of his career. Um, nobody said, gee, you're gone. You must have anorexia. People thought that's a normal person. Today, nowadays, if, if your BMI is in the normal range, people think, gee, you're skinnier than other people, and that's true. You are, um, but you're at a, at a healthy
1: weight. All right. Uh, shout out to a success story here. Uh, Stacy's joining us today. Uh, sent a message, said that uh, she recently lost 20 pounds and is walking, get this, 25 miles every single week. Said they never thought that would be possible, but here they are, 20 pounds lighter, walking 25 miles plus miles every single week. That is fantastic. I love to hear stories like that, Dr. Barnard.
0: And I'll bet she's listening to the exam room podcast every one of those miles. <laughs> great. And hopefully sharing it with everybody that you passes. By the way, I've got a podcast that you want to hear. <laughs> Absolutely. With every mile walker. Yeah. Uh, okay. You, you um, don't want to stop your walk if you're listening to the exam room. Heck no. Go Keep another mile. Going. Keep on
1: going. Uh, all right. So here we go. Final question of the day. Uh, first thing, uh, are you a fan of sweet potatoes? I love them myself. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So Crystal is wondering whether um, Crystal really loves sweet potatoes. I'm eating about two sweet potatoes, uh, two pounds of sweet potatoes every single day. Is that too much?
0: That is, I'll tell you something. Uh, you, we've talked about the blue zones on this program. Um, the Blue Zones is a project that really got launched by National Geographic way back when, and Dan Buettner was the pioneer of this. They took a, a map and they marked in blue the places where people lived the longest. And the place on earth where there are more centenarians than any, you know, people who live to be 100, than anywhere else is Okinawa, the very bottom of Japan. Go to Okinawa, get off the plane, and talk to the first person you see and say, what's the dietary staple in Okinawa. And you know what it is? It's the sweet potato. They eat enormous amounts of sweet potatoes. Sweet potato, it's, it's their dietary staple. Um, and sweet potatoes have uh, healthy complex carbohydrates that give you energy. They don't have a drop of cholesterol, no animal fat. If you like sweet potatoes, go after them. The thing to not do though, is when they come out of the oven, don't smear them with you know what people do they put butter and brown sugar and all that kind of stuff over the top the sweet potato itself comes out of that oven really delicious
1: absolutely uh and and a pro tip that i've learned also uh if you're really trying to keep that fat ultra low in your diet and you typically will put dressing on your salad that has some fat in it uh try you know just baking a sweet potato putting that in the fridge so it's nice and cool cut that in half, and then add that to your salad. And because it's soft, it can kind of spread around in there. Really take the place of a creamy dressing, and it is 10 out of 10 type of delicious. I mean, that alone should be part of the Universal Meals program. I don't know if there's a pro tip section for Universal Meals, but that should go on it. Sweet potatoes in a salad does not get any better.
0: I love it. That's completely healthy food, and if you love them, they're going to love you right back. Hey,
1: and if you love this show today, be sure to uh, like this video and subscribe to the channel here on YouTube. And if you haven't already done so as well, you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the exam room podcast by the physician's committee on Apple podcast or on Spotify, really wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave that five-star rating and a nice review because the cool thing about what happens when people do that, Dr. Barnard, when the exam roomies do that, uh, it really does. It helps us climb a little bit higher in the podcast rankings and the higher we get on that list, the easier it becomes for people who really are searching for this information. They really want it. They want to make that change in their life. We're close to the top. So we're going to get that information then right at their fingertips, right when they need it the most. So that's like really kind of the cool thing about how just a little bit of support, taking just a few seconds for, to do that really helps the next person make this enormous change in their life. It's pretty cool the way that that works. i got to say,
0: Chuck, I, I think that's the most important thing. People who have listened to the exam room love it. Um, I do, and so many people do. But the key thing is let somebody else know. When other people know about it, you can you can inspire them, you can educate them, you might even save their life.
1: That's right. And close to uh, 10 million downloads now and counting. So uh, thank you guys for all of the support. Let's keep up this tremendous work. Um, I also want to say a tremendous thank you to uh, Allison Mahoney and the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund because their support is really helping the exam room live thrive and raising our health IQs week in and week out. Uh, They support organizations just like the Physicians Committee that are carrying on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. And you can visit them online right now at GregoryWriterFund.org. That's Gregory Reiter, spelled R-E-I-T-E-R fund.org. You see his picture right there in the corner of your screen. Phenomenal human being who really made the most of his time here on earth.
0: Greg had such a wonderful heart for animals and Allison has carried on that spirit so beautifully.
1: Well, once again, thank you to the uh, the Greg Fund and Allison and everybody over there who really uh, helps us do what we do to get that healthy message out there. Huge debt of gratitude and a huge debt of gratitude to you, Dr. Bronner, for being here today and helping to raise our health IQs all about metabolism. Great. Thank you, Chuck. The Exam Room Live, always a good time, always the best time to get your questions answered by our nutrition experts from across the health landscape. So set a reminder for Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Join us on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Links again to both right now are in the episode notes. Now, coming up here on the podcast, you're going to hear a lot of interviews from this year's International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. Dr. Kim Williams, Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Monica Agarwal, Dr. Vanita Rahman, just a few of the names I will be sitting down with at the conference. So I'm really excited about what's on the horizon. Plenty of opportunities to raise our health IQ. I'm telling you, every year at this conference, we learn so much. You just heard Dr. Barnard talk about how they're going to be unveiling brand new research this year. And we're going to be hearing about some more brand new research there as well. So much incredible content on the way, guaranteed to appease the inner health nut inside of you. And it's so fun to think about the fact that we are still in the infancy about what we know about health and nutrition. You know, we do know a lot, but think about how much more we'll know in 10 years or 20 years, 50 years. And all of these speakers at the conference are the experts who are behind the wheel and steering us toward a healthier future. So I'm really excited about that. Really, really am. And you might also be excited to know that the Physicians Committee has an opportunity to join our team as an office services associate or coordinator. This person will be in charge of helping to keep our headquarters in Washington, D.C. running full steam ahead. So they're going to be assisting with troubleshooting and training and providing support for our meetings and events and making sure that our team has what it needs to succeed and continue our life-saving efforts. So if this sounds like you, we want to hear from you. Visit pcrm.org careers or click the link in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and raising our metabolism health IQs to great new heights. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant based.